This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. And so I think that the vigilance for individual users, for IT admins, and for companies in general, it needs to get uh, more of a, much stronger than it currently is in order to defend against these types of threats. Well, I'm Nicole Burley. That is all for News Nation. Now, I thank you so much for watching this Tuesday. Of course, we're going to give you a look at our primetime lineup. But first, the biggest headlines out of our nation's capital. The Hill with Blake Berman starts right now. So where has all the left-wing money gone? That is now the question being posed by the New York Times, even the Washington Post writing about anxiety concerns. So is this a warning sign for Democrats? We'll follow the money coming up. But Republicans, they have their own issues as well. The infighting there not slowing down. And did we just witness, potentially, one of the next high-profile governor's races break out right in the halls of Congress? We'll discuss Plus, Chris Cuomo and Gavin Newsom. Chris just interviewed the California governor, and he'll join us to talk about it as questions mount about Newsom's political future. The Hill on News Nation starts right now. All right, here we go. Thanks for being with us here on The Hill. Once again, I'm Blake Berman, joined today by a great panel. Kurt Bardella is a Democratic strategist and former House GOP Oversight Committee advisor. Denise Gitsum is a Republican strategist and former aide to President George uh, W. Bush. Kevin Walling is a Democratic strategist and former Biden campaign surrogate. And Charlie Dentz, as you might know, former Republican congressman from the state of Pennsylvania. But we begin today with... President Biden, who spent the day addressing the United Nations General Assembly, he emphasized the need for more international cooperation and asked the world to stand with Ukraine. But consider this headline right now coming out of the Big Apple. It comes from the New York Times, an opinion piece highlighting how progressives are fundraising at a slow and worrying pace. The author, Michelle Goldberg, poses the question, where has all the left-wing money gone? She writes, quote, yet if liberal lassitude is understandable, it's also alarming because we're going to have to fend off Trump once again. And even if some pullback is cyclical, some seems to be rooted in a more enduring malaise. Malaise. Is that what it is, Kurt? I you worried? I'm not, I'm not worried. I'm not? Maybe, maybe I'm one of the few Democrats who doesn't worry and wet the bed every time that something doesn't go the way everyone thinks it should, because that seems to be something Democrats really like to do. Um, it's September of 2023. Joe Biden is not in a contested primary. There is no reason necessarily to be having money flowing to, to super PACs and dark groups the way that you would normally have in, in an off-year election or the actual real campaign that we're going to have in 24. By the time it's all said and done, more money is going to be spent than God, just like every election cycle that we have. Every side, Democrats and Republicans, are going to be fully funded, and it's just going to be an all-out money war. But Kevin, here's the uh, head of the voter movement, uh, movement voter project talking about all this. Uh, quote, 
In the 2019-2020 election cycle, and to some extent in 21-22, donors gave like our lives depended on it. This has not yet happened in 23-24. As a result, progressive electoral groups are struggling financially, and the problem appears to be getting worse. Well, Blake, to that that, uh, quote that you just read, we were running against an incumbent uh, Republican in in terms of Donald Trump, who was great for both sides in terms of fundraising, either against him and for him. But to Kurt's point, you know, I'm I'm not winning the bet either. I look at the numbers through Q2, which is the end of June, and the DNC, you know, DLCC, DCCC, the DSCC, all of our kind of Senate House committees responsible for electing Democrats have outraised the Republican counterparts by $27 million in the first six months of the year. So I think there's going to be plenty of money to go around, but Democrats are in good shape. But I heard, I heard you mention, and it, it talks about it in there, Donald Trump. If you need Donald Trump, doesn't that sort of show I mean, that there's a motivating there? factor, certainly. Uh, but, you know, you're going to have a, a party committee staying behind an incumbent president. There's a lot of power behind running an incumbent president. He was on Broadway uh, just last night in New York on the sidelines of the U.N., raising money with the stars yeah. of Broadway. We'll, we'll have plenty of money. Former Republican congressman, uh, the Democrats here say no worries. Well, I do think at the end of the day, both sides are going to be very well capitalized, a plenty of money. But uh, I think it's pretty clear that there is a lack of enthusiasm for Joe Biden among a lot of Democrats. It's an age issue. He, that many think he's too old. They, you know, he's supposed to be the, the bridge to the next generation of Democratic leadership. Right. They want him to transition. Well, he needs to transit, and he hasn't done that. <laughs> uh, and so that's, I think, a fundamental problem that he is just not excited. Now, Donald Trump excites Democrats, and that'll drive the money, but it's not going to be because they're, they're all thrilled with Joe Biden. Yeah, and on that point, this reminds me of what happened to CNN when Donald Trump left office. They were suddenly going into bankruptcy. Nobody was watching because they had nothing to rail against. So I think in order for progressives and Democrats to really capture hearts and minds, they have to have a platform that is separate from who they're railing against and give Americans something they're railing for. All right, so you mentioned Joe Biden, uh, the president at Broadway last night. Here's what he said. He was given a, a fundraiser speech. At one point, quote, and you may have noticed a lot of people seem focused on my age. Well, I get it. Believe me, I know better than anyone. He goes on to say, I've never been more optimistic about our country's future in the 800 years I've served. (laughs) Funny. It's a good line. We're all laughing here, smirking. But is that the way, Kevin, to get at it and to sort of bring Democrats and say, you know what? Open up the checkbook. Let's go. Yeah, I think so. And listen, you know, th- that remark was met by a loud uh, applause and, and laughter in the in the theater uh, in New York. And I think the president kind of turning the tables on that age narrative. Of course, he's only three years older than his likely Republican uh, nominee. Uh, might be the way to do it. I don't know. I think that this is where we might have to disagree because doubling down on your weakest point doesn't necessarily help move the needle in your favor. I think the more he talks about age, the more he brings attention to it, the more you're starting to see a deflection from folks thinking that he's not going to make it through his next four years if he wins the White House. See, I think you got to just take it head on. I mean, I think ultimately humor is such an effective way to deal with certain Unless things. Unless it's true. And sh- well, well, <laughs> right, even better if it's true. That, true. that makes because, it even more funny. Because, listen, the, the age narrative isn't going to go away. People are going to be bringing that up, whether it's media, pundits, commentators, operatives, there's nowhere to go with this. So you might as well just address it head on directly and show you're not afraid of it. I'm because for if it. you start hiding from it, if you don't bring it up at all, well, then that's going to show that you're scared of it. So you can't put that out there. Like all right. That. Over now to Alex Gangitano, White House correspondent for our partners over at the Hill. Uh, you were traveling with the president yesterday, Alex. You might have even been in the room for that remark. Um, president Biden uh, over at the U.N. General Assembly today. Here's what you wrote. Quote, Biden faces litany of challenges heading to the United Nations. Your article today in The Hill. What are those challenges for the president of the United States on the world stage right now? Good question, Blake. So 
This is kind of a preview into what the president faces when he gets back home yes, tomorrow. So uh, his speech today to the U.N. was a lot about rallying support for Ukraine, uh, a lot about how they still need uh, backing amid the war in Ukraine, amid the war at um, Russia's invasion. But when he returns back to Washington, the real people he needs to convince of that is Congress. So the administration's asking for $24 billion more dollars for the war effort. Um, and there's Republicans, not just far-right members. We're seeing now other Republicans joining those members that have long said that we're spending too much in Ukraine and saying maybe we should uh, scale back a little bit. So he really faces those challenges back home. Um, other challenges on the world stage that we're seeing at the U.N. for the president is working with other nations to combat the climate crisis. That's been a huge focus of his. And to also, you know, his America uh, is back agenda, so to speak, and, and pushing back on former President Trump's America's First agenda. That's been an ongoing yeah. uh, thing that he's been working towards throughout his administration. I, I mentioned, Alex, you were traveling with the president yesterday. You were the, the pooler, the one basically sending out the notes to the rest of us. Were you inside that fundraiser, by the way? That's right. So I went up with him on Sunday. Uh, we traveled up, and so I was not with him. A new pooler the, took over for the remarks got yesterday. It, got but okay, cool. I, I was just curious what Sunday. it was. Yeah, no, I was just curious what it was like inside the room. Um, but over to the president and uh, and the uh, UN General Assembly. What does success look like for him? You think like what does he have to do? I know you just laid it out, but what what's success for him? Yeah, I think if he can leave this General Assembly meeting feeling confident, like what we saw after the G20 meeting, it kind of puts wind, wind behind the president's back, especially, you know, we're just talking about the age issue. He likes those kind of energy boosts of, I just had successful international engagements. Um, I'm, you know, proving on the world stage that I'm a leader amongst Western allies. So now I can maybe feel a little bit better going back to Washington. And he's facing a lot, not just trying to get more money to Ukraine. He's also facing an impeachment inquiry. He's facing a potential yeah. government shutdown. So I think he needs some positive energy before he comes back, and I think that's a lot of what he's looking for in New York. Alex Gangitano, friend of the show, White House correspondent for our friends over at the Hill. Alex, thank you. Thanks, Blake. Yep. Meantime, it's not like Republicans, the other side of the aisle, don't have issues of their own, by the way. <laughs> uh, right now, north of a dozen House Republicans are holding up a deal to avoid a government shutdown. That was created by members of their own party, that deal was. Now, the legislation calls for spending cuts and for additional support for the southern border. Now, just to show you right now how scrambled things are, here's Congressman Chip Roy. Now, for a bit of history here, he opposed the House Speaker Kevin McCarthy's deal to lift the debt ceiling earlier this summer. But now he is squarely on Team McCarthy when it comes to avoiding a government shutdown. Here was the congressman hours ago. Go explain that you're voting against a 30-day 8% cut to the federal bureaucracy while having a piece of legislation attached to it that is the strongest border legislation ever passed, and it was passed out of this House Republican conference. Again, to my so-called conservative colleagues, go explain that. Charlie? This is just posturing of the worst type. Okay, this, how? This proposal that he just referred to is going nowhere. They, they don't have votes to pass it out of the House. And even if it did pass the House, it will go to the Senate. It will be completely stripped and gutted. And they will send back a bill with over 70 votes uh, that will fund the government, provide for disaster relief uh, and Ukraine funding. And then the House is going to have to eat it. The question is, will they eat it? 
before September 30th or after the government has shut down. I'm predicting it'll happen after it shuts down. Really? But that's what's going to happen. But this is posturing. This is almost, it's almost laughable. They know this is going nowhere. This, and that bill that, they, that he just referred to, Chip Roy, they, they introduced it and it crashed. It burned, it blew up at, at the launching pad. So it's not going anywhere. So is this, you know, the, the will of the minority being imposed on the, the will of the majority within the majority conference? Well, of course. There's a group of hardliners out there who don't know what they want. Uh, McCarthy provided, uh, you know, he announced the impeachment inquiry ostensibly to maybe to pick up a few funding votes. Well, that didn't work. Those guys said, hey, we'll pocket the, we'll pocket the inquiry, and we want five more things. But I'm not sure exactly what they want. It's not clear. Uh, and so bottom line is um, I, I see that this is a, you know, we, I don't know that they have the votes to pass anything. Just a, an hour or so ago, the are defense ta- appropriations bill couldn't even, they couldn't bring up the bill. Are, are, they are couldn't you, pass it. Are you talking to Republicans on this, your former colleagues? I, I've talked to many of them. Yeah, I've talked to several and your, of them. And your sense of a shutdown comes from them? Uh, it comes from everybody who's, who's paying attention right now. I mean, look, it, they don't have to shut the government down. It's really easy not to. Right. McCarthy, all he has to do is go talk to Hakeem Jeffries and say, I need votes to pass the rule and then to pass the bill, and then problem solved. But if Kevin does that, then he's going to have this rear guard action. These guys are going to move to throw him out, to vacate the chair. Yeah, there'll That's be an outright revolt. I mean, it, it reminds yeah. me so much of, you know, I, I, I was in Congress, working in Congress back when the Tea Party stuff started. And, and it's funny how so much of their tactics it hasn't changed from where we are right now with the extreme flank of the caucus in that you don't really know what they're for, what they really want. They don't really <laughs> define that. They just want the They thing. don't even know what they want. They just want, want it to shut time. down. Yeah. I mean, that, the reason why there's going to be a shutdown is because that's what they actually want. They want that chaos. They want things to go, to go south, just like the Tea Party did back in the day. They don't actually have a list of demands, really, that you can meet. That's what makes it so difficult for McCarthy. It's hard to negotiate with people who don't really tell you what they want. I'll tell you something I found interesting today amid, among all of this is the question of whether or not we just witnessed today sort of the next Florida governor's race playing out <laughs> in the halls of Congress. I want you to watch here uh, Congressman Matt Gates, Republican from the Panhandle area of Florida, ardent supporter of President Trump, talking about Byron Donalds from Florida, Republican, ardent supporter of President Trump. Watch. I oppose the CR authored by my friend and colleague from Florida, Byron Donalds. My friends, we are approaching the days where we're facing $2 trillion annual deficits atop a $33 trillion debt. This is unsustainable. Here's how Byron Donalds uh, framed all of this in a tweet. He said, the 30-day thing does CR, the thing, does two things. It secures the southern border, cuts government by 8%. He says, no money for Ukraine, and so on, as you can see there up on the screen. But this is... Did we not just witness sort of like round one here? I mean, Matt Gates isn't randomly calling out Byron Donalds here, is he not? <laughs> let's hope not. <laughs> Listen. Let's hope not what? Uh, let's hope that's not the two that we end up with uh, <laughs> buying for the governor's Well, you, you know it could be know, headed that way I with know, Ron DeSantis up in For the sake of my party. And, and you're I'm, a Republican. I am a Republican. Yeah, so I think that a house divided cannot stand. And when we have people that are out there putting their self in front of their party and their country for something they're not even sure they can define, this also speaks to the issue of the Republican Party buying into a cult of personality in Trump. Just because you happen to align with President Trump doesn't mean you align on the policies that you propose. And so I really would say exactly what I said about the Democrats in regards to the Freedom Caucus, which is I respect the principles that they stand for, but unless you know what you actually do stand for, it's going to be impossible to get the American people behind you. How absurd this is, though. I mean, to pass... 
Boy, you're not too you're not too bullish on your old colleagues. No, no, but but, <laughs> on but, your but side I just heard what, what Gates said. You know, to pass a funding bill, to fund the government at a current level for about 70 days, no one is going to lose their election over that. But the, you, to hear some of these guys are, you would think this is like, this is a vote of war and peace. Uh, this is a vote on abortion. No, this is a vote to fund the government at the current level for about 70 days. But those two, are they, is, those two are they setting up what's coming yeah, in Florida? They're, they're trying to create an issue here where there really isn't much of one. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's, this is where the, the right flank has persuaded itself that their constituents are telling them that if they vote for a continuing resolution, that somehow their constituents are going to rise up and throw them out in the primary. <laughs> it's nonsensical. It sounds right. like Charlie misses it. Oh, I, I don't miss the circus, but I do miss the clowns. Okay, there you go. There's plenty of them. There's plenty of them. Coming up, he's the GOP favorite for the White House, but you won't see him at the second primary debate next week, most likely. How former President Trump plans to throw himself in the middle of the big three strike. And the governor from California, Gavin Newsom, he is becoming a Democratic powerhouse. So why is he not running for president now? We'll speak with Chris Cuomo, who asked that very question to Newsom. His answer, and Chris, later on The Hill. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. All right, so it looks like the former president and Republican frontrunner will be ditching the RNC and courting the UAW. The Republican National Committee's marquee event this month, as you might know, is a presidential debate at the Ronald Reagan Library in California. President, uh, the former president, Donald Trump, reportedly isn't going to be there. Instead, he is headed to the Democratic stronghold of Detroit. Denise, uh, clearly this is Trump flexing, saying he doesn't need the RNC, doesn't need, you know, another debate. It shows his, his strength over the party right now. But to, to ask a question at this point in time, how big... Can Donald Trump's lead get? Do you think he's up by 45, 50, somewhere in there right now? I won't. I'm bad at numbers, so I won't even try. But I will say the more he speaks to the American people and less to his colleagues on the Republican or Democratic side or opponents, the more of a case he's going to make to them and the more his numbers are going up. See, everyone else is playing with the same pieces in the same board, and Trump's changed the game. This is the genius of Donald Trump, the reality TV star before he was a president. He has his finger on the pulse of Americans. And when I was looking at why he would go, I was looking at Michigan and Detroit, and he won in 2016 by a very small margin, 0.3 of a percent. He only needs to get 150,000 votes, and he can find that amongst the UAW workers if he speaks directly to them to take that state back. And so he's looking at the long game, and as long as he keeps his eyes focused on the prize and speaks directly to the people, he's going to grow. I mean, to Denise's point, you look at the numbers right before the first debate and right after, and Donald Trump's numbers not being on that stage actually went up. Right. So to Denise's point uh, in the in the last break, too, it's a cult of personality. Uh, and to your question, Blake, you know, he has about a 66%, 70% approval rating among Republicans. So I think it could go up to that high. There's a lot, the large ceiling. block of Republican voters that are still never Trumpers, that believe that he has committed felonies, that will right. never be for him. But as long as you have eight 
nine people running against him and not one front runner, as Ron DeSantis was after the first of the year, you're going to see this this, this fragmentation uh, uh, still. Yeah, Charlie, the reason, I'm sorry, go, no, go for it. The reason why Trump's able to get away with this is because most of those people, those eight and nine people that are on that stage, they don't go after Donald Trump when yeah, they're true. on I'm that sorry, debate stage. Like 2016 all over. But you when know? they do, they lose. If all of them, if all of them in unison spent the entire debate just pillaring Donald Trump, it would drive Trump crazy because the headlines out of that debate would be entire GOP field dumps on Trump and he would lose his mind not being able to be there to defend himself. Charlie, I want to ask you because, you know, you were a former congressman in Pennsylvania. You dealt with the UAW. Is it smart? Politically, I mean, this is Denise was talking about the numbers in Michigan. Smart politically for Donald Trump to try to go into Michigan, go after union workers, or is this something at the end of the day, from your experiences, that's just not going to happen? Well, look, I think he, he is smart to, to speak to rank and file union members because a lot of rank and file union members voted for him or are trending Republican. He's not going to have much luck with UAW leadership, right? But he will have was- some luck with uh, rank and file, and uh, and so I think he senses uh, an opportunity here because this strike, by the way. I don't think this is doing Joe Biden any good at all uh, because this, because of the, the economy still being fairly fragile and the impacts not only the automotive industry but the broader economy are very real. And, uh, and you know, people remember that GM and Chrysler were bailed out yeah. uh, 10 years ago. And they- what, about, what about this argument from Donald Trump on the electric car, quote-unquote, scam, as he as he calls it. Is that the way to go after this UAW issue for him? Well, he, he, well, the UAW has been pretty outspoken about their concern about the transition to electric vehicles. So Trump is exploiting this division between Biden and the UAW leadership over this. Uh, but the real big question is, you know, this auto industry, you know, Tesla's out there, uh, the German, Japanese, and Korean car companies are out there without all the legacy costs. So Trump is making this case on the electric vehicles. It's a real problem for the Democrats uh, on this issue because uh, you don't need as many parts for the electric cars, right. uh, electric vehicles. So it's an issue. And the UAW is screaming about it. And Biden's actually helping him make that point. Today in his U.N. speech, where I do not expect other people have nerdily watched throughout (laughs) the whole thing. You're not glued to the U.N. General Assembly I was, but only because I had to be here today. So, um, you know, he made a point of attacking fossil-fueled cars. And so really, he's just, it's it's interesting because, like I said, everyone else is shuffling the pieces on the board, and Donald Trump has changed the game. And if people aren't dynamic enough, specifically Biden and all of his Trump's opponents on the the Republican side, they're not going to be able to keep up with the pace that he's setting because he's changing the conversation and he's speaking directly to those people whose votes he wants in Michigan. All right, well, coming up, the growing migrant crisis. Shelters are overrun in many places. Thousands still crossing into the U.S. by the day after day after week after week. Does the GOP have a solid case to impeach the Homeland Security chief? I'll talk with a Republican who is leading that charge coming right up when The Hill on News Nation returns. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. All right, welcome back here to The Hill on News Nation. Here in Washington, talk of impeachment goes beyond President Biden. Some have raised the idea of impeaching members of the president's cabinet, including the Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, over the 
border crisis uh, along our southern border. Joining us now is the Republican congressman from Tennessee, Mark Green. He is also the chairman of the Homeland Security Committee, which, by the way, will hold a hearing tomorrow with Secretary Mayorkas. Mr. Congressman, Mr. Chairman, thank you for being here uh, on the Hill on News Nation. Appreciate it as always. Are you going to push for the impeachment of the DHS Secre- of the uh, uh, of Alejandro Mayorkas? Yeah, well, first, uh, thanks for having me on the show. And to correct, uh, we're not, Maricus is not showing up tomorrow. The investigation is, of course, on his performance. Tomorrow, our, our discussion is about uh, the financial cost. Last week, we did the, the human costs, you know, to fentanyl and human trafficking. This week, it's all about the dollar cost. In terms of uh, impeachment, we're still in the middle of this investigation. I certainly was concerned last week when we had testimony that said uh, his inactivity was aiding and abetting the cartels, but um, you know we're we're continuing this investigation, and we'll see where it leads us. Do you worry, uh, Congressman, that if there's impeachment against President Biden formally, officially, and it goes on down the road, that that sort of sucks up all the energy, all the oxygen, all the attention, and, and then folks maybe like Mayorkas might get left in the dust? I don't think so. I, I, I think that the Republicans are able to walk and chew gum at the same time. We can, we've got two investigations going on simultaneously. In fact, we've got three. You've got Jim Jordan digging into uh, the corruption at the DOJ. You've got uh, Jamie Comer investigating the, the Biden crime syndicate. And, of course, we're digging into Mayorkas. And as I said, we found some pretty interesting stuff out last week. And we've got informants that have come to us and talked about potential Fraud. So, yeah, we're. What, we're what is that going to take? What is it going to take to formally say, you know what, uh, we're going forward with it? What do you need? We've got to find clear evidence of elements of a crime. I mean, uh, uh, the impeachment is very clear in the Constitution a high crime, a misdemeanor. Uh, so, we're looking for elements of those crimes. And if he's violated, like in the case of aiding and abetting, you know, we're digging into that. We, we had evidence or, or testimony last week that he was. So, yeah. You had testimony from who? Because I guess that's where it breaks down, right? It's the question of, can you impeach for doing a bad job? Or no. can you impeach? No, impeachment is not designed for a bad job. In fact, if you read the Federalist Papers right. about, you know, the, the Constitution is very clear that that, you know, that would just result in a war between Congress and the White House all the time, so, or the administration. So, no, uh, that it has to be a high crime or a misdemeanor. But we... Uh, we, there's some concern that, that, that something that is there, so we're gonna we're gonna investigate it. Do you believe that Alejandro Mayorkas committed a, a crime? I think there's a big question about whether or not he's aiding and abetting, and there's some questions about fraud with contracting. So we're digging into that. Absolutely. A- aiding and abetting what? Aiding and abetting the drug cartels in uh, drug trafficking and human trafficking. So, so I'm sorry. So your your claim is that. The DHS secretary is helping personally the Mexican cartels. I, I just want to be clear there. Yeah, you're not hearing me. What I said was there was testimony that suggested testimony. that okay. true and that we are still investigating it. So that's it. that's what I said three times. Got it. OK, um, I want to ask you about what's going on within the Republican conference. Uh, obviously, the southern border is is of great importance to you. Um, yeah. And you help put together the, the stopgap measure. Um, your colleagues who are sort of pushing back against that. What, what would you say to them right now, Congressman, that north of a dozen or so 
Yeah, I mean, I, I I would say to them, for the cost of 30 months of cash flow, at a little higher level, we get border security out of the deal we negotiated amongst ourselves. They were going to put H.R. 2 on that uh, continuing resolution, and as I understand it from talking to senators, they had the votes to pass that continuing resolution over there, that which would have given us border security, H.R. 2. And we've got Republicans who, I guess that's not enough for them, but it certainly was for me. And what's going to happen is, what the big concern is, that you know the some of the moderate caucuses are going to go over and talk to the um, you know Democrats and get a deal that's going to be clean. So once again, we're 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 cutting off our nose or to spite our face, and it's just very frustrating. Uh, Congressman Green, thank you for the time. Appreciate yeah. it as right. always, sir. Hope, hope you come on back. Yes, yes. you too. Um, what'd you make, Congressman? Uh, well, from, from Mark Green there. Well, well first, I, look, if, if the House were to pass this bill that's negotiated, it most assuredly will not pass the Senate. It has zero chance. It would need 60 votes. There are not 60 votes for that. So that's not going to happen. On the impeachment of Mayorkas, look, you, you can make a case that Mayorkas is not doing a good job. That doesn't make it an impeachable offense. I don't, it doesn't sound like he's going down the impeachment road just yet. But look, impeach, you know, impeachment inquiry on Biden, you do an impeachment inquiry on the Homeland Security Secretary. At some point, you, know, you have to reserve impeachment for serious crimes and, and misdemeanors. You know, we talk about the guy in Texas, Paxton, you know, yeah. there's a guy who should have been impeached, you know, for doing real Yeah, bad. So, so Paxton, we mentioned there's yeah. a lot of talk uh, these days about impeachment. Republicans bringing up the possibility uh, with President Biden, as you know, after feeling the idea was purely political during the Trump administration. But Texas, let's talk about that for a second. The State House of Representatives there uh, impeached the Attorney General, Ken Paxton, for bribery and abuse of public trust, but he was then acquitted by the state Senate. Paxton, though, wasn't being accused by Democrats. This is the important part here. He was accused by multiple members of his own staff. This then went to the Senate, Texas, red state, Republican-controlled. He's got his own staff members accusing him. There's an FBI investigation that was launched during the Trump administration. And, and it begs the question, what does it take to be convicted these days? If your own staff turns, turns you in, and your own party says, nope, not good enough for me. I think it takes a love of truce more than it does a love of politics. And one thing I'm concerned about on both sides of the aisle, but because I like to keep my eyes on my own paper, especially within my own party, is that we actually seek to do what's in the best interest of the people that we represent as opposed to what our own political interests are in maintaining power. Because ultimately, that's a losing game, and people will see through it. Yeah, I never want to hear the gambit that the Republican Party cares about law and order ever again. Because clearly, if you commit white-collar crime, you are welcome with open arms in the GOP. Steve Bannon will so come he has, to your he rescue. Hasn't, he, he hasn't been convicted by federal authorities of anything yet. But there is this FBI investigation in which the staff said, just to be clear, in right. which the staff said, it's in like, which basically the staff started. I mean, when your own staff, the people who are closest to you, who know the ins and outs of your life and your career and your day-to-day you know, service, when they are the ones blowing the whistle on on you, that should be enough for anybody and anyone who's been elected to office or served for someone who has been in elected office knows that is an incredible, uh, an, an almost unbelievable indictment of your character that your own team would be blowing the whistle on you and that the Republican-controlled assembly, they agreed. Right. They voted for, to Kurt, move forward with impeachment. I want to bring in Sean Spicer real quick, of course, uh, the former uh, press secretary during the Trump administration, News Nation contributor. Sean? Uh, good to see you. Good to have you back in. Am I missing something here 
with with what went on in in Texas? Well, I think the really unique thing to me that was fascinating was was the campaign that they made out of this. I mean, uh, regardless of the evidence uh, that was up against Paxson and sort of the political headwinds, I, I was sort of, to be blunt, impressed uh, with with the effort that was put forward by Paxson supporters to really get grassroots people on board on his team uh, and make this into a, sort of what they deemed as a political prosecution. So just from a campaign perspective, I thought it was an impressive effort. After the, the sort of the vote that the House in Texas took, I thought it was going to be a lot closer in, in the Senate, and it wasn't. That was in large part to a coordinated outside effort that really went after these guys and made it clear that if they didn't support PACs, that they would face a primary. But, are, are you, I, you know, your, your background is campaigns and communications, so I get it and, and understand your perspective and don't take it lightly. But you've also been in politics... Uh, a long time, and, and I'm wondering if you're worried about the trajectory here, based off of of everything that we know that's that's been investigated and been seen in Texas. I mean, I guess the trajectory in, in, with respect to what the fact that people rallied around him and, and defended him. No, well, I just mean, with, impe- at- with impeachment, uh, you know, with, with where we are. I mean, there's impeachment everywhere. Donald Trump right. dealt with it from Democrats. Uh, Joe Biden is potentially going to deal with it from Republicans, and it seems like in Texas, you know, you you had the, the, this guy's own staff say something's not right, and yet the party that controls power said it's basically good by us. Right. I mean, I think what we've had is we've accelerated the weaponization of impeachment and and the politicalization of all this stuff. Up until a few years ago, a lot of this stuff was unheard of. We've now made it that as soon as you're attacked for anything, you go into campaign mode. Um, And and the, the entire nature of impeachment has changed in the last five or six years. All right, Sean Spicer, stick around. We'll talk with you again here in a few minutes uh, on the other side of the break. Still ahead, a lot of talk about California and the governor there, Gavin Newsom. He's rising on the national stage. So why not challenge President Biden in the Democratic primary? We will chat with Chris Cuomo, who spoke with the governor earlier today, what Chris asked him, how Gavin Newsom answered, and what Chris took away from all of it. That's coming up on the other side. differentiate because your BS meter is one of the best because you've been around this all your life. I don't like this guy. I have deep respect, reverence for Joe Biden as a person, his character, his decency, and his capacity to do great things. That's why I'm not worthy of that conversation. This guy deserves it. And we, as, as members of the party, deserve to have his back. That, of course, the California governor, Gavin Newsom, in an exclusive News Nation interview airing tonight on Cuomo. It seems that Newsom, as you heard him there, is ruled out running for president this election cycle, at least for now. Uh, over to the panel real quick. What would you make of that answer there uh, from Gavin Newsom? Listen, Kevin? Governor, governor Newsom is, is one of the best surrogates for President Biden. And you'll, and you'll remember during his recall campaign, it was President Biden that hit the campaign trail for Governor Newsom. So I think he's an incredibly effective spokesperson for the accomplishments of the Biden-Harris administration over these past three years. Yeah, but you, you, so you don't think there's some sort of shadow campaign going on here? Listen, I mean, Gavin Newsom, with that hair, has been wanting to run for president <laughs> since he was a kid. So Ever since it, he was mayor of San Francisco. When does it happen? Always leave them I think it happens more. in six years. And that'll be an interesting dynamic with the vice president uh, and uh, the former governor at that point running potentially against each other. 
No, there's a saying, always leave them wanting more. Newsom's playing yeah. this just right. He's playing the happy warrior, the I got Biden's back, so that yeah. the, the Democratic Party base and establishment will still be behind him when his time comes. He's not pissing anybody off. Well. And he's just being, by just being out there, being present, yeah. he is allowing people, voters, people like us to go, what would it be like if he was the guy running for president? He wants right. to debate Ron DeSantis right now. Yeah, yeah that, and that might happen. I want to bring in Johanna Masca, uh, one of our favorite Californians. Uh, I think she's in New York today. Johanna, you there? Uh, wonder I what am. you make of that interview. Hey, what, wonder what you make of that interview hey. uh, with Chris and the California governor. You know, Blake, I got to sit as a fly on the wall during the entire interview. And so okay. I've seen, I, I've got to say, People need to check out this interview. I thought it was fascinating. It was long. Chris asked a whole assortment of questions. And I think he started to talk about, you know, how Governor Newsom would project, you know, the Democrats, basically the record of the Democrats, how he believes that the Democratic Party isn't communicating effectively, how he thinks that they should be communicating. And a lot of it was, you know, bringing California values on the national stage, which is interesting. You know, I'm from middle America, but I live in California now, so I can appreciate California values. I'm not sure everyone does yet. So that'll be interesting. (laughs) Want to bring in uh, Chris Cuomo now. Chris, I think you got us. Fascinating stuff. I've read through some of it. I obviously just saw that exchange there. Uh, you just spoke with the governor. What was uh, what was your main takeaway? This is a smart move for Governor Newsom. Uh, the only potential downside is if he misses his best window. Was this his best window? He says he's not worthy of the discussion. I don't know what governor of a major state thinks they're not worthy of the discussion of getting to the next level. Um, but... That's his only downside is, am I missing my window of pushing the case that Biden, real or imagined, is found Guys, I, by I, two out of three voters? Chris, can you, Chris, can right you hear choice. me? Chris, yep. you can hear me, right? Okay, great. Sorry. They were telling us we had audio issues, but, but we got you. So let's, let's keep on going. Um, what, uh, what about, you know what, Chris, they're telling me that, that, that they can't hear you. Uh, we'll, we'll try to work on it, get you back when we can. Uh, Chris, thank you. I'm talking to Chris. I don't know if, if you can hear him at home. Um, Want to bring in, uh, we were just talking to Johanna Mosca. Uh, Sean Spicer is standing by still. Sean, um, wonder what you make of those comments there from Gavin Newsom and Chris Cuomo. I thought it was kind of interesting that he said that, you know, his BS meter was was rather good, and but he was going to get, I, I thought that was one of the most BS answers I've ever heard in my life. Of course he wants from to Gavin run. Newsom? Of course he yeah, I mean, look, that guy, I think it was said well that that guy has been dying to run since he was in high school. He is ready and waiting to run, and he is sitting there watching Joe Biden every day saying, I could run circles around this. He is doing everything he can to appease the far left in California. And, I mean, he's probably the only straight white male in the Democratic Party that could get nominated. This In, in the current field, you have to have something. He is the only white male straight that could get elected as uh, or become the nominee of the Democratic Party right now because he is doing everything he can to appease the far, far left. But make no mistake about it. He is dying, dying to run. Do we have Chris still? We do. Chris, let's bring we're, we're experimenting with a with a new control room a little behind the scenes. Uh, and it turns out that you, we could hear you. No, um, I'm still dark Chris? over here. 
All right, clearly we're working through some things here. Uh, over to the panel. Uh, one, of the, one of the fascinating things that I found from the, the interview was, was basically he compared Joe Biden to Michael Jordan, saying you need, a, you, you need to not only do you have a good team, but you need a Michael Jordan. Uh, I found you think that's a stretch. Well, listen, I'm from California, too, and I still live there. I'm not here. I'm there all the time. And you have to be a politician as skilled as Newsom to make up for the fact that your policies are an unmitigated disaster on a fantastic state. Listen, this guy is slick as can be. I've been in rooms with him in Beverly Hills at fundraisers. I've seen him in action. He is so, so good at what he does, politically speaking, that he's able to pretty much brainwash everyone into thinking that California's on a good path. I mean, that is skill that Joe Biden certainly doesn't have. And frankly, Newsom doesn't have to get his hands dirty. His party is doing it for him by throwing Joe Biden under the bus. You know, Johanna, California uh, saw these headlines. California goes after big oil companies with lawsuit, citing years of deception. Um, And then you look at gas prices in your home state. Nearing six bucks a gallon. $2 north of the national average. Uh, I heard you talk about San Francisco values, but whenever Gavin Newsom decides to jump in, is exporting California politics nationally, does that play? So it isn't San Francisco values, it's California values that he talked about a lot. But you're right, the price of gas is too expensive in California. That would be a hard sell across the rest of the country. And this move is political. It does smell of that. But he made an interesting point about Kevin McCarthy in this interview, too. So I I think there's a lot of questions about, you know, who's been kind of continuing this cycle of uh, not focused on climate change and the transition that has to happen eventually. Um, You know, I think, like I said, it is absolutely worth a watch. All of our viewers should stick around for Cuomo tonight. But I, I think that he is trying to turn some of these arguments Republicans have been making for a long time on their head and talk about the wins that California has had. I want to give the last word here uh, to Sean Spicer. Sean, you know, it, the, the question of uh, sort of exporting uh, California politics nationally, Ron DeSantis tried to do that with Florida politics, and it hasn't seemed to caught on. Can you export any sort of local state politics nationally to try to win a presidential election? Well, you can talk about what you've accomplished and whether that translates, and that's that's more of a message than anything else. I think that Gavin Newsom is an unbelievably effective messenger. Um, I think that he's got to figure out how to thread the needle eventually between being a nominee of his party and a general election candidate. I think, again, there's there's a difference. You can Sometimes you've got great material to work with. You just don't have the best messenger. I think that DeSantis, as a governor, has done a phenomenal job in Florida. It's just a little difficult to sometimes translate that to a state, for example, like you know, Ohio, excuse me, Iowa, that's doing very well under Kim Reynolds. Um, and, and so it doesn't always translate politically in the way that you want it to, depending on the route that you have to take, i.e. going through Iowa, New Hampshire, which are both well-run states by Republicans. And then you go to South Carolina, same thing. It's a little different if you can make a contrast. It's harder on the Republican side right now. Sean Spicer, thank you. Johanna Mosca, uh, thank you as well. We'll see you all soon. A reminder that you can catch Gavin Newsom and Chris Cuomo tonight here on News Nation, 8 o'clock Eastern. Don't want to miss that. Well, before we go to break, uh, some, a little bit of breaking news right now. As attorneys for President Biden's son, Hunter Biden, say that he will plead not guilty 
to three gun-related felonies when he is arraigned at a future date. This expected, uh, as his attorneys had said, that they would fight the federal indictment. Hunter Biden's attorneys noted that his expected plea during a court filing today where they asked that he be allowed to appear by video during his future arraignment. Just the start here on the legal front for Hunter Biden. Coming up, Houston, we have a problem. Or at least they have a problem. Someone has a problem. A spacecraft carrying chemicals to help treat HIV is now stuck in space. And the government is saying, you can't land. We'll talk about it coming up. All right, so before we say goodbye here on the Hill, here's a headline that caught my eye. Show it here. Gizmodo, space drugs factory denied re-entry to Earth. The Air Force and the FAA denied permission for Varda Space's capsule to return and land on Earth. Here, here's what this is. This is a capsule that was launched. It is uh, growing crystals of the drug ritonavir, which is used for the treatment of HIV. And the government basically said, you can't land the thing in Utah. They've got concerns about it. I think it was the FDA. I think the, they screwed the, up on their acronyms. The, 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 the FDA, <laughs> like the, the FAA, not the FDA. FDA. But we talk yeah. about satellites in space all the time. This is an example of where they're saying you can't land. You can be stuck up there. Thank you for joining us all. <laughs> uh, really appreciate it. Coming up, uh, Elizabeth Vargas reports starts right now. We'll see you tomorrow. President Biden's plea to world leaders tonight, we must support Ukraine or it could be you who's invaded next. At the United Nations annual meeting of world leaders, Biden took the stage to say no country is. Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.